Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to episode number 155 of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm your host, Chris Strapoti, and with me, as always, is Tony Pauline, and we are back again to discuss the week in college football and what lies ahead, both of which now include the SEC. We watched two top 10 teams go down this past weekend, including LSU in its opener against Mississippi State, first game without Joe Burrow and a host of other NFL players that we're now seeing on Sundays. But Tony, what was your main takeaway from week four of the college season? Alabama never skips a beat. I mean, it's unbelievable. I didn't expect much from Missouri, but the way Alabama, specifically their offense, just came out really from the get-go. I mean, here's a team that had, what, the fifth overall pick with their quarterback, top 10 pick with, their, uh, with an offensive lineman, two receivers who went first round. And, and you would have th- thought that this was a, an incredibly veteran offense. I mean, you know, Deontay uh, Smith was his usual consistent self. Jalen Waddell has shown development in his game. Uh, Najee Harris was terrific. The offensive line was terrific. And Mac Jones, who I thought would basically be the reason why Alabama could take a step back this year, because I thought he was more of a game manager than a a playmaker. I mean, like, wow, (laughs) I never expected that. So, you know, my takeaway is, you know, the rich, I don't know if the rich get richer, but that, that Alabama program is incredible. Yeah, I mean, they pretty much define the, uh, the term, we don't rebuild, we reload, because that's what they do. I mean, you mentioned two first-round receivers, and we'll get to Alabama a little more later in the show. So we won't go into too much detail yet, but you mentioned for two first-round receivers. I mean, they may have two more first-round receivers, uh, you know, coming out, if not next year, and definitely 2022. So it, it is just kind of crazy. Um, you know, what you see year in and year out from that program. And then obviously you see one like LSU, who is an elite program in its own right, uh, but did have a bit of a stumble in week one after losing a ton of NFL players. So, you know, maybe more of a rebuild for them, not the rebuild like a definition you would have in pro sports, but, you know, more so than just the constant reload that you see from the tide. Not just losing a ton of LSU uh, players to the NFL in the case of LSU, but losing their top player overall, who's a cornerback. Uh, against a pass-happy Mississippi State team with a brand-new coach who loves to throw the ball all over the place. So it was just really a recipe for disaster uh, for LSU. Now we will get right into today's show in just a moment after this word from our sponsor. The wait is finally over. Football is back. And while you might not be at the game this year, depending on which city you live in, you can still be in on all the action at Bet Online. And as we've mentioned on our last two shows, betting on both Cam Newton to lead the Pats in rushing TDs and betting against the New York Jets still look like quite good strategies at this moment. Although I haven't checked the odds on Cam, but I'm sure they're not quite as good as they were two weeks ago. I'm wondering if Bet Online is offering odds on which week. Adam Gase will be fired. If they shouldn't, they probably should, they should consider that. That would be an interesting bet. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, like the aforementioned Adam Gase, 
Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there is always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all their great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Now, two games to break down for you here on today's show. Two from each of the ACC and the SEC. And we'll start with the former. Duke and Virginia played on Saturday a 38-20 to win for the Cavaliers. What we were watching closely in this game was Duke tight end Noah Gray and Virginia linebackers Charles Snowden and Noah Taylor. Just three catches for 23 yards for Gray. Did score a touchdown, though. Didn't really face much of Snowden or Taylor in the passing game. Did run some sharp roots, though. Can get out of his breaks pretty quickly. Can go up and get the ball like he did on his touchdown. Now, where Gray did see a bit more of Snowden and Taylor was in the running game as a blocker, where he mostly struggled. Doesn't hold up for more than a couple seconds. Bends at the waist a little bit. But the real story here, outside of Gray, was the play of those two Virginia linebackers. It's really, really tough to keep your edges clean on offense with these two rushing the passer. Taylor had seven tackles, one and a half sacks, great closing speed to the ball, was able to win the edge with both athleticism and speed, also showed a nice counter spin move to get back inside, good discipline and awareness overall, did a nice job keeping his head up to see what the quarterback was doing so that he wasn't just caught rushing and then the quarterback just runs right by him. Snowden, on the other hand, a bit less impact in the sack department and in terms of backfield disruption, but showed that he also can get to the edge, has elite length, which you'd expect at his height, keeps blockers off of him, and helps him clog the passing lanes, broke up two passes in this contest, shows plenty of comfort dropping back into coverage as well. Tony, I know we said preseason that we wanted to see UVA use Snowden a bit more up the field, but I think the reality is that they like giving him more coverage responsibilities maybe giving Taylor a few more rush opportunities. And with how they played in this one, it's really hard to fault them. Yeah, absolutely. Snowden did break up two passes in the game. And, you know, he's a smart, instinctive, disciplined linebacker. He doesn't just pin his ears back. He doesn't just run around the field. He'll set the edge. He stays with his assignments. He stays in his zone. Uh, You know, he waits for the play to come to him. He plays under control. He looks a little bit stronger this year. And that's the thing about Snowden is he's a tall, thin linebacker with excellent movement skills, but he's going to really have to fill out his frame for the next level. I think he's starting to do that. Was really impressed with Taylor. Taylor, as we mentioned last week, had more safety size. He looked a lot stronger. He looked a little bit bulkier, a lot more forceful, stronger up the the field on the blitz, able to defeat blockers, but he still has that patented athleticism and the ability to run down ball handlers from the backside uh, in pursuit because he's got that speed. You know, Noah Gray, 7.7-yard average on three receptions. It's not really good for a guy who's more of a move tight end. You're looking for something longer than that uh, uh, with, with his receptions, especially considering, as you said, you know, he gives effort as a blocker, but he really doesn't get a lot of results. Now, another ACC matchup between Louisville and Pittsburgh. This one a bit more down to the wire than the one we discussed previously. Pitt got the win here, 23-20. Louisville now 1-2, and two, doesn't have a conference win after the past two weeks. And thanks to the Panthers' defense here, that's the real reason why Pitt won this game. Seven sacks, three interceptions, one pick each by guys we discussed last week, cornerback Jason Pinnock and safety DeMar Hanlon. But both of them were kind of gifts from Malik Cunningham, who yet again struggled, 
nine for 21, 107 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions. The stats, at least in his prior game, looked good, even though he struggled. In this game, the stats didn't even look good. Really crumbled under the pressure that the Pitt defense put on him. Continued to miss the mark on way too many throws and really wasn't able to escape with his legs either. Just three rushing yards on 13 carries. And much of that yardage does end up being lost on sacks since that counts against your rushing total in the college game. But regardless, not really a good game for Malik Cunningham in any way. Tutu Atwell was his only receiver with more than one catch on the day. Had four receptions for 37 yards and one touchdown. And really, he should have had more. Cunningham missed him multiple times down the field when he had a step on the defense. He did beat Hamlin for a touchdown on a play where Hamlin just kind of froze when Atwell broke to the corner. No chance for anybody, especially DeMar Hamlin, to recover to Atwell at that point. I did think both Pinnock and Paris Ford played better games than Hamlin on this day, but neither of them did what Patrick Jones did. Six tackles, three sacks, and just countless disruption. Felt like he was in the backfield on almost every down, turned speed to power on his bull rushes, consistently gained ground on the Louisville tackles, beat double teams, closed quickly to the ball. Tony, I know we were disappointed when Jalen Twyman opted out, but Patrick Jones really looks like he wants to pick up all of Twyman's slack. Yeah, you mentioned how uh, Malik Cunningham really wasn't able to pick up that much yardage with his legs. That was because he was getting a crud beat out of him. I mean, at the end, it looked like he was having cabin fever because they were breathing down his neck from the word go. You know, you mentioned Jones, Rashad Weaver, who was a uh, week two riser on my column at uh, Pro Football Network. He had another sack and a half and two and a half sa- uh, tackles for loss. Uh, you know, Jones, uh, six tackles to go along with the three sacks. That's a good number. He was given day two grade by scouts coming in. He's a pure edge rusher. I mean, he's tall, he's thin, he's quick off the edge. He shows the ability to bend off the edge, quickly change direction or redirect uh, to the action. I think the uh, totals against the run is also a positive sign. Uh, I, I mean, and he's a guy that if he shows improvement, it's only going to help his uh, draft grade. I like both Paris Ford. I thought Hamlin played okay. I was very impressed with Jason Pinnock, the uh, cornerback, who I thought really shut down or helped shut down uh, the Louisville Louisville passing game. You met, you mentioned Tutu Atwell. That one uh, touchdown was a busted coverage. Des Fitzpatrick, who we also highlighted, one reception for 14 yards. Uh, Pinnock is a good a good little player. He, he kind of get, gets lost in the shuffle behind the two uh, safeties. He's a guy that scouts graded as an undrafted free agent. I think he's more late round uh, type of prospect. If he runs well, running well means he's going to have to get to the uh, – mid to high four fives. If he runs in the four sixes, I don't think he gets drafted. doesn't mean he's not going to be able to play at the next level. I think he's a good zone uh, type of a cornerback who can also play special teams, terrific ball skills, and there'll be a place for him in the NFL. Sure. looked like a draftable player in that game. And Hey, I mean, you like him as a zone corner. He's played pretty well in man the past couple weeks against Taz Harris and Des Fitzpatrick. So, you know, good signs, everything looking up for a guy like Pinnock. Now we'll move on to the aforementioned SEC And we'll start with Vanderbilt and Texas A&M, a 17-12 victory for the Aggies. Quarterback Kellen Mond was his usual up-and-down self, didn't top 200 yards passing, sacked one time. And that sack came from Vanderbilt's defensive playmaker, Dio Odengbo. The play was actually more of Mond running into the sack than a great play by Odengbo, but he did show some awareness on the play to see Mond coming at him and get rid of Carson Green so that he could make the play. Seven tackles overall for Odengbo. But I feel like 
that's a bit overstating the impact that he had on the game, at least in terms of the plays that he made. Obviously, the attention that he gets drawing double teams, you know, and constantly being on the minds of Texas A&M does make an impact on the game. But it did show all the reasons that scouts are excited about him, even if he didn't make that many impact plays. He's got great length to stay clean off blocks and set the edge. He gets his hands up into passing lanes when he can't get to the quarterback. Just needs to fill out his frame a little bit more and add some more strength because I do feel like he was neutralized at times by both Dan Moore and Carson Green. They did a decent job of keeping Odengbo in front of them. They held their blocks once they were engaged with him. I think they both, in the end, held their own in this game against a far more talented opponent than their talent would belie. Now, Tony, I know coming in when we previewed this game, you laughed at the massive spread, and you were really dead on. Uh, Besides what you saw from the key players in this one, did you win anything off your prediction via our partners at BetOnline? Uh, no, I'm not a gambler. I usually, when I gamble, I usually gamble on logic and it, it, it always turns out, uh, it turns, it turns into a bust. So no, just listen to what I say. Uh, my, my words speak louder than my actions when it comes to that topic, but getting back to, uh, getting back to the game, you know, and Dingbo was, you can see the guy's just got the natural ability. He's just got the raw talent. You mentioned his length. You mentioned his his uh, speed. His movement skills are incredible. I, I mean, he he looks like a, a slower linebacker in pursuit, and I don't mean that uh, as an insult. I mean that as a positive because he can easily get out to the sidelines in pursuit of the action to run down ball handlers. I think it's a situation where if he was at an LSU or, or Georgia – or even in Alabama, a team that has more professional coaching. And I'm not saying, and this is not a knock on the Vanderbilt uh, Commodore coaches. I mean, they're good coaches, but they're not, you know, the next level style of of the schools I just mentioned. I I think he would be far ahead in his game as to where he is. I could absolutely see this guy playing in a postseason all-star game like the senior bowl, blowing up the combine, and then some coach watching the film and just getting being blown away by what this guy shows as far as flashes are concerned. And then factoring in his upside and saying, you know what, we're going to take this guy at the top of round two. He can be a defensive end and a four-man front for us. He can grow into a two-gap end. We can even use him on the inside as a pass rusher in certain situations. It's just a matter of him pulling it together. And it's not because of lack of effort which leads me to believe that if he had more professional type coaching than what he does have at Vanderbilt, who is a, is a, uh, is a program that historically gets more out of its players than, uh, you know, they're usually capable of when they make a bowl game, sort of like the aforementioned Duke, uh, I, he's going to be a real good pro at the next level. Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned getting him to a different program with more professional coaching. I mean, also getting him to a different program where maybe he's not the best player on that defensive line. Maybe he's not, you know, the only viable pro prospect that this team has. And, you know, he'd be freed up a lot more to make plays rather than having to deal with double teams and just drawing as much attention as he does as well. Yeah, absolutely. And even that, I mean, he doesn't really get all that locked up. He finds a way to get himself free and the pursuit and the lateral movement skills are very impressive. Absolutely. And the final game here will stay in the SEC and we'll look to Alabama, Missouri, as we alluded to earlier on the show. Now, this game with a massive spread lived up to that. It was 35-3, about five minutes into the second half. I mean, Alabama scored three touchdowns in the first quarter. Missouri could barely move the ball. They may not have had three first downs in the first quarter. 
Uh, the score did get a bit closer late in garbage time, but reality is we knew that the Alabama offense would dominate in this game. It's not what we were looking for. What we wanted to see was the performance of Virginia Tech transfer wide receiver Damon Hazleton, who made his Missouri debut with five catches for 34 yards. Mizzou made it a point to get him involved early in the game. They gave him a rushing attempt. They targeted him a bunch of times in the short field. He did have a bad drop on a short pass early in the game, but also showed a bit of ability to make some defenders miss after the catch. Didn't lead to a big play, uh, but he did break a couple tackles. Held his own against press coverage from Patrick Sertan II and Josh Job. Got separation against each on routes in different ways, but throws from Sean Robinson, another transfer, him from TCU, uh, just weren't really accurate enough for him to make plays to get completions out of it. Uh, Job got a pass breakup out of one of those where he ended up getting beat at the line, but a short throw gave him time to recover. Didn't get his head around on that play, though. And, Tony, I know that was a concern of yours on Patrick Sertan. What do you think about how this trio played on Saturday? You know, I thought it wasn't a bad uh, performance or, or bad showing by uh, Hazleton, considering considering the fact that uh, Missouri got pounded, caught a lot of passes, really not for much yardage. That's okay. The way he's going to break into the, uh, you know, he's going to eventually have to break into the into the lineup, uh, break into that system there with new teammates and new quarterback. I, I thought it was a solid showing for him, especially coming off a very disappointing 2019 campaign. You know, Sertain is, he's big, he's physical, he's got the, uh, the uh, athletic skills, he's got the mouth-watering size speed numbers, and, and I know people love him and they think he's a top 15 pick. His ball skills, or it's just techniques and his fundamentals at times, the inability to make plays, uh, with his back to the ball, the inability to really flip his hips smoothly really does concern me at times. I thought Josh Joe played very well in the game. uh, And I think he showed a lot of improvement in his game. On to our previews for week five of the college football season. And we'll stay in the sec to start wide receiver from Auburn. Seth Williams comes off a big week, six catches for 112 yards and two touchdowns against Kentucky into a matchup with a Georgia secondary that has four NFL corners. Davis Daniel, Mark Webb, Eric Stokes, and Tyson Campbell, all of these guys have the size to match Williams. So on paper, this projects as a really tough matchup for the Tigers receiver. With this many talented corners, he's not going to get any breaks. I mean, even if he avoids Daniel on one play, he might get Webber, Stokes, or Campbell on another play. And those guys didn't just go up against the potential day two prospect. So it's going to be tough for Seth Williams, but really he's more than capable of winning these matchups. He's got good athleticism for a tall, lanky receiver, goes up and gets the ball, really has a good my ball mentality when he attacks it in the air, wastes no time transitioning to yards after the catch, which is something he may need to do if Auburn says, you know what, we're going to have to neutralize the Bulldogs' corners a bit here. We're going to get you the ball underneath. You're going to have to run after the catch a little bit to make things happen. So it'll be interesting to see if there's a wrinkle in the game plan from the Tigers there. Tony, what are you watching for in this matchup? You know, Williams is a guy who caught my eye in the uh, over the summer. We spoke about him during our Auburn preview. You mentioned the size. He runs well. I mean, he's not a real slow guy. He's not one of those bigger, slower receivers that we constantly talk about coming out of the Big 12. He runs relatively well, makes those highlight reel type of receptions as he did Saturday in the game against Kentucky. It's going to be a different ball game. And in large part, I think part of his performance – 
uh, Saturday was was also due to the improvement of Auburn quarterback Bo Nix, who really you didn't know where the ball was going, the pass was going last year when he threw it. I thought he showed some significant improvement in his accuracy and pass placement. But Georgia, like you said, I, I mean, the one guy from Georgia you seemed to leave out was Richard LeCount, the uh, safety, who I've got graded as an early fourth-round pick. There are some scouts who like him as a third-round uh, uh, prospect. I, I mean, he is a ball hawking type of safety. He's got excellent range. So he can help out those, uh, the cornerbacks, whether it be Davis Daniel, whether it be Mark Webb, whether it be Eric Stokes. Uh, and, and really, a lot of times, I, I think what's going to happen with Williams is he's going to see double teams. He's going to see double teams because it's not only going to be the cornerback, but it's going to be LeCount coming over to help the cornerback. Davis Webb, is, Davis Daniel, I apologize, is highly thought of in the scouting community. I have a fourth round grade for, uh, from him. Uh, scouts that I spoke with really feel uh, he is a definite second round, a uh, second day guy. I'm sorry, second day uh, prospect. Played well against Arkansas. Going to be a real good next level matchup with Seth Williams against this really entire Georgia secondary. Now we have kind of a similar situation in the AAC when we look at the Tulsa and Central Florida game. Obviously, many conference games for UCF this season are going to be mismatches on paper. This one is another one of those. But Tulsa has a potential late-round wide receiver in senior Keelon Stokes. 62 catches for 1,040 yards and six touchdowns last year. And he, kind of like Seth Williams, is going to have to deal with the entire UCF secondary in this game. The Knights have two draftable cornerbacks and two draftable safeties. All seniors, so we're going to see them for sure in April of 2021. Brandon Moore tore his ACL in the 2019 opener. Hasn't played yet this season. Not sure if he's going to play this week. Couldn't find anything on that. But even if he doesn't, Aaron Robinson is a guy with similar size, more of a third-round prospect at this point than a day-two guy like Moore can be. But he's played well through two games, as have Richie Grant and Antoine Collier at safety. Grant, smaller guy, but he comes up hard against the run. Definitely a sure tackler. Also shows some ball skills as well. Speaking of ball skills, Antoine Collier, four interceptions in 2019. A couple pass breakups so far this year. So even if Moore isn't out there, this is going to be a challenge for Stokes against a really talented group of defensive backs. Yeah, Stokes is a, a thinner receiver, shorthanded receiver, not really fast, which I think could be a, an issue for him. Aaron Robinson and Richie Grant are hard hitters, especially Grant. I mean, he's a guy who will be a headhunter and, and really look to jar the ball loose. I like Richie Grant. I have him as a potential second-day pick. A lot of scouts have him as a free agent. I think the situation with Richard Grant is going to be a speed, how fast he runs at the next level. Is he a 4-6 guy or is he a mid to low 4-5 guy? That will be the difference as far as where he gets drafted. Anton Qualier, for in a lot of uh, areas, was also graded as a uh, free agent. I have him as a six-rounder. He's got a little bit better length and size uh, than Richie Grant. He probably plays the same speed. Got, but he does have good ball skills, as you mentioned. I think the fact that Brandon Moore is not on the field uh, is going to hurt. Obviously, Moore is still returning from that injury that sidelined him last year. I compared him to Mike Hughes off the 2018 film. We'll have to wait and see what he's like when he returns. He's a physical corner with excellent ball skills. I know he had posted a video back in August saying that he, he felt good. And once he's at 110%, he'll be back on the field. Uh, it'll be a good matchup for him if he, against Stokes if he returns to the field this Saturday. Now another matchup in the passing game, this time moving into the Big 12, Texas against TCU, where Longhorns quarterback Sam Ellinger just off to a ridiculous start this season. 71.2% completion percentage. T 
10 touchdowns and just one interception in two games through five touchdowns against both UTEP and Texas Tech. But TCU, just a bit of a different animal. Not quite the same talent as they've had the past two seasons in terms of NFL prospects, but a couple of late round safeties that TCU has, Trevon Morig and Ardarius Washington. Morig, a bit more of a strong safety type, while Washington is more of a free safety, maybe even a cornerback. He's nowhere near 5'10 or 200 pounds, but he's got great ball skills, five interceptions in 2019 in his first season as a starter. This TCU defense, though, allowed 37 points in its loss to Brock Purdy and Iowa State, only allowed that many points twice all of last year. So it's not the TCU team that we've gotten used to seeing over the past couple seasons. As a result, Tony, can Ellinger stay hot? <laughs> Well, you know, he's got the momentum going, especially if you watch that Texas Tech game last week because, uh, I mean, Texas, the Longhorns looked like they were down and out, this, and they came back and scored, what, uh, 15 points in the last minute and a half? It's like the Texas uh, Tech defense just stood around as though their feet were in cement. I mean, he had so many guys wide open at Ellinger. The Texas Tech defense made his job easier for him. Different beast. Texas Tech was supposed to have good corners. They didn't play well last week. You know, the guys against uh, the guys at TCU are, di are different animals. Washington, as you said, the smaller safety, but he's got outstanding ball skills. They'll pull him up over the slot receiver. He can stay step for step, and he's a guy who'll break on the ball, is able to make plays with his back to the ball. I really like his ball skills. Morig is more of a headhunter. He's the guy that's going to try and jar the ball loose for some fumbles. He can do that. So when those, if those Texas receivers come over the middle of the field, uh, you know, they better watch out. I think the thing with Ellinger is he's going to really have to be on the mark. We're going to have to see some ball speed because Mooring will take the uh, receivers, will, will jar the ball loose from the receivers where Washington's got the ability to break on the ball and disrupt and deflect the pass. So uh, Ellinger's got the, the uh, momentum going in his way. TCU last uh, last week, they only gave up, I believe, it was like 200 yards passing uh, to uh, uh, to Iowa State. So it wasn't a, a bad uh, game for the uh, pass defense. Uh, but really, with the way Ellinger played uh, last week against Texas Tech and a week before uh, against uh, UTEP when, when he let up the scoreboard, uh, the TCU guys better be on their game. Our final preview on this week's show is North Carolina and Boston College really kind of continues this week's trend of matchups to watch involving pass catchers. This time, though, it's Boston College tight end Hunter Long against UNC linebacker Chas Surratt. Now, Long is over halfway to his reception total from 2019. Already this year, 16 catches for 174 yards and two scores. Dropped 7-93 and on Duke in the opener before getting a bit of an easier matchup with Texas State last week. Now, you might expect stats like that from a move tight end who splits out and has great athletic ability, but long, more of an inline tight end, sure hands, does have some juice to threaten the seam, almost 20 yards per catch during his first two seasons, but not really that move tight end type like we were talking about with Noah Gray earlier, whereas Chaz Surratt is a guy who broke out with 115 tackles in 2019, his first year playing linebacker after he previously played quarterback, another nine tackles and two sacks against Syracuse in their last game, which was almost three weeks ago. They lost the game to Charlotte in that span due to COVID. But Surratt, very good athlete, definitely more athletic than Long, puts himself in the right spots despite his inexperience at the linebacker position. It'll be interesting to see if he's used specifically to neutralize Long, who has almost 40% of BC's catches this season. What do you expect, Tony? 
You know, Chaz Surratt's a former quarterback, and like most former quarterbacks, he sees the field exceptionally well. Surratt, who's a brother of uh, Sage Surratt, the uh, former Wake Forest receiver who opted out of the, the can- this year to uh, prepare for the draft, he's really what we used to consider your traditional 4-3 weak side linebacker because of his athleticism, because of his range, because of his ability to get downfield. If you watch the game last year against Clemson, he was all over the place, really just established himself as a terrific three-down linebacker. I like him more than most scouts. Most scouts have him as a fourth rounder. I have him as a third rounder. I don't know why they don't think him, think of him as a second-day selection. He's got the size. He's got the speed. He obviously has the instincts. You know, one thing about Boston College is it, they consistently put solid tight ends into the NFL. Most of them are last-day picks, which Hunter Long is likely going to be. But like Hunter Long, they've got good size, and they're good in all facets of the game. Pass catching, blocking, route discipline, and, and everything else that goes with being a tight end. I mean, you want to see if Surratt is able to handle the much bigger Hunter Long on passing downs when the ball is thrown is thrown in Long's direction, and I expect it to be thrown in his direction numerous times considering the start that he's uh, off to. And then you want to see if they're matched up on the blocking downs. Does Is Surratt, who's a little bit smaller, is he able to hold the point against Long? Is he able to make the tackle on the ball carrier, or is he getting obliterated at the point of attack by the bigger Boston College uh uh, tight end. Good, good matchup between two legitimate NFL prospects, not early round guys, guys who are fr- a guy in Surratt, who's a fringe day two player. Uh, both guys at the very least are uh, day three prospects who I think will have long careers at the next level. And unlike a lot of the guys that we've talked about on today's show or a lot of the matchups, I mean, these are, as you mentioned, contrasting styles. One guy has the advantage in the running game. The other guy might have the advantage in terms of athleticism, covering the pass. So really be interesting to see, you know, if either of them can kind of step out of the, you know, the role that we've kind of put them in here and really show us something that we haven't seen from them so far. And Surratt is just a consistent player. 6'2", goes about 230 pounds, runs and plays in the 4'7 range, if not in the high 4'6 range. So I just don't understand why scouts don't have him graded higher. The earliest I've seen from scouts is an early fourth round grade. But, you know, he really is – doesn't have the great size at barely 230 pounds. He's not a 245-pound linebacker, but he's very athletic. He gets from point A to point B quickly. He can play outside. He can play inside. Uh, a three-down guy is going to be an interesting matchup to watch. And that's it for the 155th episode of The Draft Analyst presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show – Please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter. We'd be happy to answer on the show. We'll be back next week to take you through this week's action. But until then, for Tony Pauline, this is Chris Tripodi. Good night. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.